Well, we're going to have the rest of our main Bible reading now, which is 1 Kings 8, 22 to chapter 9, verse 9. And a question for you to be thinking about is, uh, Solomon is now going to pray, bearing in mind what's just happened, what does he pray for? So have your eyes open to what his request is. So 1 Kings 8.22 says this, Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands towards heaven and said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you, in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart, who have kept with your servant David, my father, what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand have fulfilled it this day. Now therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, what you have promised him, saying... You shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel, if only your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me as you have walked before me. Now therefore, O God of Israel, let your word be confirmed, which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to this plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day, that your eyes might be open night and day towards this house, the place of which you have said, My name shall be there, that you may listen to the prayer that your servants offer towards this place. And listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place, and listen in heaven, your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. If a man sins against his neighbour and is made to take an oath and comes and swears his oath before your altar in this house, then hear in heaven and act and judge your servants, condemning the guilty by bringing his conduct on his own head and vindicating the righteous by rewarding him according to his righteousness. When your people Israel defeated before the enemy because they have sinned against you, if they turn again to you and acknowledge your name and pray and plead with you in this house, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them again to the land that you gave to their fathers. When heaven is shut up and there's no rain because you have sinned, they have sinned against you, if they pray towards this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin when, they afflict, when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants your people Israel, when you teach them the good way in which they should walk and grant rain upon your land, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. If there is famine in the land, if there is pestilence or blight or mildew or locust or caterpillar, if their enemy besieges them in the land at their gates, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever plea is made by any man or by all your people Israel, each knowing the affliction of their own heart and stretching out his hands towards this house, then hear in heaven your dwelling place and forgive and act and render to each whose heart you know according to all his ways, 
For you, you only know the hearts of your children, of all the children of mankind, that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land you gave to our fathers. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country for your name's sake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays towards his house, here in heaven, your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, in order that all the people of the earth might know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. If your people go out to battle against their enemy, by whatever way you shall send them, and they pray to the Lord towards the city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name, then hear in heaven their prayer and their plea and maintain their cause. If they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them and give them to an enemy so that they are carried away captive to the land of the enemy far off or near, yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors, saying, we have sinned and have acted perversely and wickedly, if they repent with all their mind and with all their heart in the land of their enemies who carry them captive and pray to you towards their land which you gave them to their fathers, the city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name, then hear in heaven your dwelling place their prayer, their plea, and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions that they have committed against you and grant them compassion in the sight of those who carried them captive that they may have compassion on them. For they are your people and your heritage, which you brought out of Egypt from the midst of the iron furnace. Let your eyes be open to the plea of your servant and to the plea of your people Israel, giving ear to them whatever they call to you. For you separated them from among all the peoples of the earth to be your heritage, as you declared through Moses your servant when you brought our fathers out of Egypt, O Lord God. Now, as Solomon finished offering all this prayer and plea to the Lord, he arose from before the altar of the Lord, where he had knelt with hands outstretched towards heaven. And he stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice, saying, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel, according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promises, which he spoke by Moses, his servant. The Lord our God be with us, as he was with our fathers, May he not leave us or forsake us, that he may incline our hearts to him to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his rules, which he commanded our fathers. Let these words of mine, with which I have pleaded before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night, and may he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel, as each day requires, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God, there is no other. Let your heart, therefore, be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments as at this day. Then the king and all Israel with him offered sacrifice before the Lord. Solomon offered as peace offerings to the Lord 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the people of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. The same day the king consecrated the middle of the court that was before the house of the Lord. For there he offered the burnt offering and the grain offering and the fat pieces of the peace offering, because the bronze altar that was before the Lord was too small to receive the burnt offering, and the grain offering and the fat pieces of the peace offering. 
So Solomon held the feast at that time and all Israel with him, a great assembly from Lebo Hamath to the brook of Egypt before the Lord our God seven days. On the eighth day, he sent the people away and they blessed the king and went to their homes, joyful and glad of heart for all the goodness that the Lord had shown to David his servant and to Israel his people. As soon as Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that Solomon desired to build, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time as he appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I've heard your prayer and your plea, which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you will walk before me as David, your father, walked with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I've commanded you, and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, saying, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. But if you turn aside from following me, you or your children, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut you off, then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them and the house that I have consecrated for my name, <coughs> I will cast out of my sight. And Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone passing by it will be astonished and will hiss. And they will say, why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? They will say, then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and they'd hold on other gods and worship them and serve them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this disaster upon them. So do keep that passage open. We're going to be looking at that over the next few minutes. <coughs> there is an outline of where we're going in the service sheet. So do make use of that uh, to study your thinking, make notes. Um, if that's of uh, use to you. Uh, also to say at the end of the sermon, there'd be an opportunity to ask any questions or comments about what we've been looking at. So bear that in mind as we go through and um, we can have that time together at the end. But before we go any further, let's pray and ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look at your word together now. And as your people, please would you help us to listen to it, to trust it, and to obey it. And we ask this, that you might be seen amongst us as the God who is truthful, good, and sovereign over us. Amen. How easy a thing is it to come into the presence of God? I take it that in today's culture, that such a question is met with a certain presumption. It's probably more common for people today to presume on God and think that we can simply come into his presence. Well, in today's passage, God comes to dwell with his people. And it will afford us an opportunity to see what will be required for this to happen. 
what will be needed for a holy God to dwell amongst the sinful people. It's in chapter 8 that the most holy place that we saw prepared so carefully back in chapter 6 now received the object for which it had been constructed and decorated, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Empty apart from the two stone tablets, the people of Israel are assembled by Solomon to be part of this event. Now, it's often the case in the Bible that events are followed by explanation. You know, it's not that events happen and we have to try and scratch our heads and work out the significance, but rather events are then followed by explanation. And it's what happens here in chapter 8, verse 12. Solomon spoke. And what he said helped those who heard him understand what was going on. Have a look at 8, verse 12. Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in thick darkness. I have indeed built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. Where does God say that he would dwell in thick darkness? I mean, we have no record of God saying, I will dwell in thick darkness. Solomon was not quoting a promise from God. He was putting what he understood God to have promised in his own words, suited to the occasion. The promise to dwell... Well, that finds its expression back in 2 Samuel 7. There, God promised that it would be David's son who would build a house for God's name in a place where his people would dwell in peace. Solomon was that son. The reference to thick darkness, well, that takes us back to Exodus, where Israel encountered God at Mount Sinai. Exodus 19, verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. And just as God said it happened, Exodus 20, 21, the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Now, God's presence in the thick darkness shouldn't be taken as suggesting that God is essentially mysterious. The point of the thick darkness is that God had come to them. The explanation of what Israel witnessed here is God coming to dwell with his people as he promised. And this, of course, fits within the broadest terms of God's plan of redemption that we've seen in previous weeks. Solom, Solomon, um, as an Adamic-like king. The temple resembles a garden. And what we have here is a parallel with the Garden of Eden and God dwelling with Adam and Eve. God's plan is that he will dwell with his people and he will be their God.
Now, it's in 822 that Solomon prays to God. And it's a prayer that goes all the way to verse 53. Now, if you recall, last time Solomon prayed was back in 1 Samuel chapter 3. There he asked for wisdom from God in order to rule his kingdom God's way. Well, what will he ask for this time? His plea is summarised in 8.28 to 30. Let's read again, 8.28. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and his plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day, that your eyes may be open night and day toward this house, the place of which you have said, my name shall be there, that you may listen to the prayer of you, that your servant offers towards this place, and listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place, and listen in heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. Solomon asks that God would hear the prayers of his people and that he would forgive. The general prayer in verses 28 to 30 is then elaborated uh, with seven uh, situations in which uh, such praying might take place. So, for example, in verse 33, when Israel is defeated by an enemy because they sinned, verse 34, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them again to the land that you gave to their fathers. Or in verse 35, when Israel faces drought, but then turns from their sin, verse 36, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel. Then in verse 38, in the event of famine and plague, when they turn toward this place, verse 39, then hear in heaven your dwelling place, and forgive. And in verse 46, if they sin against God and are carried away into exile, if they repent, verse 49, then hear in heaven your dwelling place their prayer and their plea and maintain their cause and forgive your people who sinned against you and all their transgressions that they've committed against you. Now, these would all be situations that Israel would face. And significant among these is the need for forgiveness. The most important thing that needed to happen between God and his people is that God would forgive them. If a holy God is to dwell with a sinful people there is a need for forgiveness. How else could they dwell with him? Now, although the temple is built by Israelites in Jerusalem, it has universal implications. Have a look at the place that it is designed to be. We'll pick it up from 841. 841. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel, comes from a far country for your name's sake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm. 
When he comes and prays towards his house, hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house I have built is called by your name. The temple is designed to be a place where all peoples of the earth may know the Lord's name and fear him like his people Israel. And after Solomon prays, he makes a similar point to the people when he tells them about the purpose of his prayer. Verse 59, Let these words of mine with which I have pleaded before the Lord be near to the Lord our God day and night, and may he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel as each day requires, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and there is no other. When Solomon had constructed on this mountain this temple containing the ark filled with a cloud, it's not just an Israel thing. Tied up with God's purposes for Israel are God's purposes for the whole world. It's unpacking again the promises of Genesis 12, verse 3, that through Israel, all the nations would be blessed. And this, in turn, finds its origin in God's purpose that we considered last week, that the Garden of Eden was intended to fill the whole earth. But here's the thing. If Solomon's prayer was only for the people of Israel then it would only be Israel that would need the forgiveness of sins. But if Solomon's prayer is for the whole world, well then God's provision of forgiveness will at the end of the day need to be sufficient for the whole world. God will need not only to provide for forgiveness for Israel, but he will need to provide forgiveness for the whole world. Well, our section ends in chapter 9, verse 1, with an echo of Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. Just as God finished all his work of creating and so rested, so Solomon's work of building the house of the Lord and the king's house was completed, and he rested from his building work. The Lord then appears to him and reminds him that as God's king, he must be obedient to God. Of course he must. Just as Adam was called to rule under God, so must Solomon. Yeah, there is cause for us to think that this section ends on a somewhat negative note. For the blessing that God gives occupies two verses, chapter 9, verses 4 and 5, and yet the curses that God gives occupies four verses, verses 6 to 9. Now, it's not a surprise that there's a list of blessings uh, for obedience to the covenant and curses for disobedience. It's that the curses outweigh the blessings. The imbalance indicates an expectation of covenant violation. 
And there is a terrible irony here. Have a look at uh, verse 6. But if you turn aside from following me, you and your children, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them, and the house that I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight, and Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all peoples. It was Solomon's proverbs that contributed to the international reputation of his wisdom. But in the horrors that would follow from Israel's turning to other gods, Israel will become a proverb and a byword among the peoples. The admiration of the nations would turn to mockery. It's interesting to note that the promises that God has made at this point have already spanned many generations. Through this section, reference has been made to the promises made by God to David and the promises made by God to Moses and the promises made by God to Abraham. But they're not different promises to different generations. Rather, they're of a piece. The later ones invariably unpacking the earlier ones and adding more detail. But ultimately, they find their origins in God's creation purposes. God's promises will not be fulfilled under the kingship of Solomon. But they will remain intact for future generations until such a time as God installs his king, who is obedient, and they are finally fulfilled. And of course, when he comes, we're expecting God to provide not only forgiveness of sins for the people of Israel, but for the whole world. Let's pray, and I'll open it up to any questions or comments. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this period of history where we continue to be able to pay attention, close attention, to the unfolding of your plan, that you will dwell with the people and you will be their God. And we see how important a thing that for that to happen, uh, your sinful people will need the forgiveness of sins uh, from you. We thank you how precious a thing that is. And we pray that rather than be presumptuous and think it's easy for us to be in your presence, that ultimately it comes back to the need of the forgiveness of sins that you have provided. And we thank you how even here under the rule of King Solomon that's anticipated the provision of sin not just uh, for your people Israel, but for all of your people from the nations of the world. And we pray that this attentiveness to your plan would help us to see how important and how needy we are for forgiveness from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, anyone would like to make a question? Or make a question? Make a comment or ask a question? 
also worth saying, um, <clears throat> if you've uh, missed any of our series in, in One Kings, they're all available to listen to on the website. So many ways, um, in earlier sessions, we've established quite a few themes in this book. So do make use of listening to the archive um, to see where we're going. But over to you. Mackie. Yeah, thanks. So question from Mackie. Let me just repeat it for the recording. So 8.12, it says, Then Solomon said, The Lord said that he would dwell in thick darkness. You know, why is he enveloped in thick darkness? A link back to Exodus. Is that linked? Um, what's that telling us about God? Is that because God is holy? Is that um, that sort of thing? Yeah, let's just go back, if we may. Just go back to... Because I think we're, we're expected to have gone back to Exodus. So have a look. Let's going to find the reference. Um, which is... Okay, so Exodus uh, 19, verse 9. I've got in my notes. Let's, uh, let's just, let's just uh, get a feel for the flow back in 93 from 19, verse 1. So it says, On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim, and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while God went up to Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation these are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel so Moses came and called the elders of the people and set them before them all the words that the Lord had commanded him all the people answered together and said all that the Lord has spoken we will do and Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord and the Lord said to Moses behold I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. So, <clears throat> now linked with that, it's just interesting. Do you know what happens? Do you spot what happened in 1 Kings 8? Back in 1 Kings 8, what happened when the cloud filled the house? It says there that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. So in many ways, you might be thinking, oh, wow, when the, the darkness comes, when the cloud comes, there is a stepping back of the people. Um, 
and in many ways, you know, the holiness of the Lord is, 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 um, is dangerous for the people. So there is this distancing. But I think predominantly, it's actually, we're to understand it is a very positive thing, that this is God dwelling with his people. Um, because do you notice what happens is when the cloud fills the house of the Lord, you don't see any wrath. You don't see any judgment, even though the people are sinful. And if you look back, it'd be easy to miss, but back in verse 5, it says, And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who had assembled before him were with him before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they could not be counted or numbered. So if anything, the fact that the cloud comes is symbolic of the fact that these sacrifices are accepted. God's wrath is propitiated and that he's provided for his people so that he can dwell with him. Now, there's still, a, there's still an issue because God's a holy God. You know, there is still, um, there's not final fulfillment. Um, there is still um, distancing and the people need to be very careful um, and you take something back in, um, I think we mentioned it on Wednesday, in Leviticus, where uh, is it, um, Nadab and Abihu, they just get a little bit too cocky and go to make a sacrifice that's not appropriate, and then they get destroyed by God's wrath. So we're still in these days where it's, um, the people need to be very careful in the provision that God's made. But nevertheless, um, and going back to Exodus, the purpose of of the cloud coming is that the people can be see, see and be encouraged and think and hear God's voice and know that God is with them. Um, so I think that's the, I think I mentioned it in the message, you know, and this goes back to allowing the Bible to interpret the events because you might just think he's in a cloud, God's mysterious. You, know, you could dream up all kinds of reasons as to why God appears in the cloud. But in, in the context, the uh, immediate significance is, is that this is symbolic of God being with his people um, and that the, the sacrifices uh, work. It's okay. Yeah. Which, well, gets interesting. I, mean, I don't think if you trace it through, when you get a new heavens and new earth, I don't think there is a darkness. I think then there's an intimacy between God and his people where we will see his face in a way that before that no one can see God's face. And so actually this is, um, there's themes in the Bible like the garden and then you get the temple which is God's intention that um, he will dwell with his people and then you get Jesus and then you get the um, garden city. You have themes that runs all the way through the Bible from bookends. But as far as I know with the darkness, in many ways, that is still anticipating the fact that there is this, um, there is a final fulfilment to come, where God will no longer be, uh, be veiled, but be seen face to face. Anybody else? On, Josh. Yeah. Um, I guess I'm just so I'm thinking about how like a big theme mm. well it can be difficult to approach. 
Yeah, thanks, Josh. Just for the recording, so a question about an emphasis here about in the passage about the need for forgiveness. Uh, today, um, you might have um, some circles that it's not really talked about, it's quite negative, talk about God's love instead, and therefore, if this is such an important theme, how do we talk about it in a way that is... Um, People, you know, people, uh, to quote you, it's not just ramming it down their throats, that sort of thing. So, I mean, it was interesting because on the way here, I had uh, Radio 2 on and I had to go back to pick up the laptop. So I got a bit of Radio 2 religion and it was, they had this interview on and it was all about affirmation. So basically, this person had left the Catholic Church and was learning to... Um, affirm herself and basically she'd, she'd just won the Booker Prize and she, she previously she'd made a note saying I will win the Booker Prize um, past tense and then that was you know I can do this you can do this and all that sort of stuff very kind of motivational so yeah I mean that was interesting because I, I don't think I've ever listened to Radio 2 and heard them talk about sin and forgiveness um, I mean I think at the end of the day I mean it's not all people want to hear so talk about the prophets when we looked at Hosea. I think it was last week. Um, I mean, he would even have, he even had to say the people were celebrating, having a, getting ready for a feast, and he says, don't celebrate, mourn. Mourn because of your sin and actually you're under the judgment of God. Um, but what do they do to the prophets? So in that sense, we're, um, I think the axis on which we think about our message is not what will people put up with, what will people accept. So that isn't, that isn't the test of what we say. The test has to be faithfulness. We have to say what God has said. We have to represent him rightly. Um, now, now, in terms of... We're interesting, when we look at Romans, it's interesting because Romans will... Um, uh, as he unpacks the gospel, we'll start on quite a high note and say the gospel is the power of God for salvation for the whole world. You think, well, we're expecting that. But he then says, for the wrath of God has been revealed. And actually, he'll spend several chapters painting quite a, um, well, basically a picture that the whole world's under judgment of God. But Paul seems to think, until you've got that, you're not really prepared to understand Jesus and the salvation that he brings. So... I think we just need to go back to explaining the gospel as, uh, as God has uh, revealed it to us. And I think, and I think we, we talked about this a little while ago, is at the end of the day, God's categories fit the best. So if we talk about people and we talk about our, the fact that we're made by God and that we have rejected God as we've sung and we think about God our own way, that with the conviction of God's spirit, that is, that is who we are. And therefore, and the spirit convicts of sin and then leads us to Christ and the forgiveness that he offers. So I think we can have confidence as we explain the gospel. That's, that's the truth. That's kind of who we are. So any other, any other version is just people don't know themselves um, because actually part of knowing God is to know us. And um, part of knowing us is that we stand condemned before a holy God um, 
and it's, it's accepting that. And then, so in that sense, I think we can have confidence. But, but the thing is, I think today is just, if you want to be a big name, if you want to be popular, obviously you have to say what people want to hear. And no one's ever really liked the prophets. But the plus point we've got is that this is God's plan for the world. God is saving a people for himself. He will dwell with his people. And therefore, we can go in confidence that as we do talk about sin, that, we, um, that God's spirit will convict those who are his of their sin and bring them to forgiveness. I mean, another thing, just finally to say, would be, and the students have been worked hard at this, is that prior to sin, you need to understand creation because that sets up the categories as God is the creator, therefore the rightful ruler and owner of us. Um, and that's, that's something that we then, that, that's the context of which we understand sin. Because at the end of the day, sin is a very, um, well, it's interesting. It's, sin is very God-centered, and it is ultimately a sin against God. But it's God-centered. The, the reason why we need the forgiveness of sins is not so we can go off and do our own thing. It's so that God can dwell with us and us with him. You know, forgiveness is a, it, it's just what's needed for the thing that, where we're going, which is that um, God will dwell with us. So in that sense, it's, it, um, but that will be another thing to talk about creation, because if you don't understand creation, you're not going to understand sin. If you don't understand sin, you're going to understand judgment. If you don't understand judgment, you're not going to know the love of God. Because if you want to understand the love of God, you need to go through that, um, through that journey. It's only then that we know actually how astonishing God's love is, because we're condemned by God because of our sin, yet he sends Jesus as the propitiatory sacrifice. He provides the forgiveness for the whole world, once and for all. So, is that okay? Yeah. Cool. Are there two long ones? Anyone got a quick one to finish to make it three? You're all, all done.